I'm going to invite Ellie up. Uh, Ellie is our reader this morning. So we're going to be jumping back in to Genesis, where we've been this spring. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can open to Genesis 2. If you don't have a Bible, we actually have them on the table in the back, so you're welcome to grab one and take it home with you if you want. Uh, and it will also be up here on the screen, so you can follow along. So we're in Genesis 2, uh, verses 18 through 23. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with, with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Thanks, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word, Lord, that uh, just as you have spoken for centuries past with your people uh, through your Holy Spirit, God, we trust that you are doing that with us this morning. And so we come, Father, with expectant uh, hearts and open hands to what you have for us this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, there are, surprise, surprise, three, three points, three things we're going to talk about from our passage this morning, okay? We're going to talk about our loneliness we're going to talk about Christ's longing, and we're going to talk about connected living. So you guys know I'm not very good at alliteration, but we got there this week, okay? Our loneliness, Christ's longing, and then connected living. That's where we're going uh, from this passage. And really, this passage, it speaks to this idea of loneliness, this, this emotion that we all uh, that we all know and experience. And to kind of capture that for you, I'm going to have, Tim's going to play uh, about 25 seconds of this song. And I want you to, as you listen, I want you to be thinking of the question, I'm going to ask you the question afterwards. Uh, what do you like hear in the song? Not so much the words, but like what's the, the tone? What does it communicate even in the way that it sounds? I'm just, uh, wow, guys, this is amazing. This is what I was hoping for this morning. I'm going to have to preach this sermon at Granny White. I don't think I'm going to get that, but so good, right? I'm just a kid and life is a nightmare. What do you, what do you guys hear in that, right? What, do you, what does it sound like to you? Give me some words. Angst. Oh, yes, I was going through my teen angster playlist. Like, what song captures that angst, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, because that angst summarizes so much of what it means to be a human, right? That like feeling of longing and loneliness. That's what I love about emo music is it kind of like, oh, it gets to that. In every song, regardless of what they're singing about, that whiny voice. 
And even if emo music is not the thing that does it for you, right, that takes you back to that, like, ah, the loneliness, uh, there is something that does it. And Netflix knows that. That's why they purchased the rights to Friday Night Lights. And that's why they produce so many shows that are about kids in high school for us to watch. Because what they know is that it's way easier for us to connect with our longing through the doorway of nostalgia. To think about like the pain of longing as it existed in the past rather than engage with it as it exists in our lives right now. But what is true about us as people is that loneliness, that longing, it's true for us here in the present if we're willing to stop and acknowledge it because it's part of what it means to be a human. And that's what we see in this passage. Look at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Yes, that is a jarring statement, right? Think about what we've heard in Genesis as we've been, if it's been unfolding these last few chapters. After God creates on each day, what does he say? It's good. Over and over and over again, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. And then, in the midst of that story, by the way, before sin has entered the world, God says, it is not good. That's meant to grab your attention, to shake you, to make us ask, what is it that's not good, God? And what is not good is that man is alone. Like if you're thinking back and you're like, well, Genesis 1, God created Adam and Eve, the sixth day, what's going on? Just big picture, okay? That first chapter of Genesis is like the massive painting of the creation of the cosmos. And what we get in Genesis 2 is a zoomed-in view of day 6. So what we're seeing is God kind of unspooling day 6 a little bit more precisely for us. And that God has created, remember Jeremy talked about this last week, God has created this garden, this beautiful garden place to place man into. And he's created it with a lot of specific attention. Makes me think of Roller Coaster Tycoon, right? Like, you've just crafted this entire, and then like picks the person up and puts him in there breathes life into him in that space. And yet in that space, Adam is alone. And God says being alone is not good. Now, but is Adam alone? Well, there's not a person there, but God is there, right? Which, uh, it's something, I was wrestling with this this week, how to even put it into words, because in some way what this tells us is that man was created for more than only a relationship with God. That in some sense, in a limited sense, God alone is not enough. Now let me, be, let me tell you what I mean by that, okay? Is that this is a way that we image God. The God that we worship, the Christian God, is a trinity, right? It's three in one. It's very unique in our conception of who God is. And what that means is that God has always existed in relationship with himself, but, but with persons within the Godhead who are like him. So God has always been in relationship, Father with the Son, the Son with the Father, and the Holy Spirit, with beings that are like him, persons who are like him within the person of God. And what that means for us is that we were created for relationship with beings who were like us, for other humans. That's one of the ways that we experience our likeness to God is in the way that God has created us for connection with each other. It's not good that man should be alone. So God God determines to do something about it. I'll make a helper fit for him. And then there's this moment where God, essentially there's like this parade of animals. 
and there's this, almost this picture of God. You know, God's created animals. He's filled the world with them, but maybe the garden itself isn't filled yet with those creatures. And so what he's doing is he's creating each of them from the dirt, and they're going in front of Adam. And it's as if Adam is getting the chance, yes, to name them, but to, but to ask, uh, is this the helper fit for me? Now, I don't know how long it took for him to name all the animals. That's not really the point of it, okay? The point is that there is this consistent presence, or there's this consistent process of, of animals coming in front of Adam and him re- recognizing, oh, this is not the helper. This is not the person, this is not the being fit for me. And so what God is doing in this process is he's actually stirring up Adam's loneliness. He's making it more acute. And what that tells us is that the loneliness itself that Adam experiences, the loneliness that we can experience, in and of itself, that loneliness is a gift from God. It's a gift from God that wakes us up to who we are, to how we were created to be like him, and wakes us up to the gift that he's put around us in the people who are around us. Because without that loneliness, we would never know the gift, the, the gifts that God wants to give us through the people around us. So loneliness is a gift. And what we know about loneliness and what we know about any longing that God has planted in our heart is that if God has given us a desire in our heart, if he's put a longing inside of us, he has a plan to see that longing fulfilled. That God does not give us desires without the intention to fulfill at some point those desires. And so we see that here when God says it's not good that man would be alone, so I will make a helper fit for him. I'm gonna satisfy that desire even as I'm sharpening it and making it more acute. And he does that. That's what happens in this passage. He takes a rib out of Adam, and he, and he uh, the language here is so artful, builds Eve. It's, it's like a, an architectural masterpiece. And when Adam see Eve, sees Eve, he cries out, oh, at last, that this acute loneliness and longing that I've been experiencing, I'm, I'm seeing it met. I'm seeing God fulfill, come and provide a way for my needs to be met. So even there where, we're, where Adam's having that connection met, it's, it's through what God has provided. And so in that sense, God is enough because he's always providing for us through the people and the things he's put in our world. But it's easy to read this and think that the only thing that we're talking about is marriage, right? I did a wedding last night standing on the stage. It was very crowded. <laughs> and, and we read this, and we talked about this passage even in the wedding. And guys, that is so... Uh, kind of in line with the way our culture thinks about relationship. But in our world, the pinnacle of relationship is, is romance. Right? Like the songs that Rihanna said, Rihanna, oh my, how, okay, that Rihanna sang at the Super Bowl were all about romantic love. I found love in a hopeless place. She's not talking about finding a deep, intimate friendship, right? That our culture is constantly celebrating that romantic love is the thing, Okay, that is not what this passage is about. It's about the connection that we were all created to experience. Think about the man who most fully imaged what Adam was supposed to be, who most fully knew what it was meant to be human. It was Jesus. And guys, Jesus was not married. Which tells us that it is possible for you to live, for us to live a full life that is rich with connection and marriage not be a part of that. And the church has gotten that wrong. 
in a lot of ways at a lot of different times, and let's just set the record straight, that's, that's, it is possible to live a full and connected Christian life and not be married. Yes. Because what we were created for was connection. Connection with beings who were like us and yet different than us. And yeah, that happens in marriage, but it happens in a lot of other relationships as well. So we've been given this gift of loneliness, this, this longing that God has put inside of us that, that draws us out to the people around us. And yet what we know is that so often in our own lives, that loneliness feels like a curse, doesn't it? Have any of you ever felt like that? There are a lot of reasons for that, a lot of ways that our loneliness gets kind of turned around or turned in on itself. And part of it is, is that the world that we live in, uh, there's this philosopher named Charles Taylor, and what he says, I want to move my glasses and they're not even on my head. Okay. Uh, <laughs> wow. Philosopher Charles Taylor who talks about how we are stuck, we're prisoners of this imminent frame. And the imminent frame, what, what he's describing is this way of thinking about the world that says that this is all there is this material world, and that even if with our words or in our hearts we kind of acknowledge there's a supernatural, that there's almost this like barrier that we can't get through, and that God is there, but he's separate from us. He's far away from us. And then even here we would say we, we confess that that's not the way we look at the world, but that's so a part of, of the fabric of our society that it's hard for us to really ever get out of that mindset. And because we are stuck here in this imminent frame, when we encounter things like longing and loneliness, what we expect is that those things should be able to be addressed immediately. That if I'm lonely, it needs to be dealt with now. That if I have this longing, it's a problem. And that what my goal should be, that my goal should be to get rid of this feeling that I don't like. And so we look at the people around us, and if we feel lonely, we think, well, you know what? I must be married to the wrong person then. I must have bad friends. Probably I should get new ones. Like we want to blame each other for our loneliness rather than seeing it as a gift. And because of that, it totally messes up the way that we engage with each other. We become controlling in our relationships. We become manipulative. We even start to consume each other rather than receiving someone who's different, right? We, we want to like own them. The, the boundary lines between us and other people become very blurry. A meshment would be another way to describe that. That's one way loneliness can kind of go wrong another way. Man, have you ever felt shame because you have felt lonely? Like two years ago, my wife was attempting to throw me a birthday party. And she started to ask me about it like two months in advance, which is so incredibly thoughtful. And every time she would ask, hey, what do you want to do for your birthday? I would say, I don't want to talk about it. I've had a very busy day, you know, I don't have time. Oh, I don't really know yet. Put it off, put it off, put it off. And finally, it's like a week before my birthday. And she says, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to not talk about it because um, I don't know who I would invite. And I probably said something very dramatic, like, I don't have any friends because I listen to this emo music, right? <laughs> but there is so much shame in that. I'm like, I don't know who I'm going to ask. I don't know who would say yes. And so rather than being a gift, this loneliness becomes a, a self-pitying, kind of self-focused thing that, that draws us down to this dark whirlpool. And eventually what we'll do is we'll just suffocate our hearts. 
like laying cardboard over your grass, you know, when you need to kill a spot. Deprive it of light and of oxygen, and it'll just die. And that's an easier way sometimes. It feels like an easier way to deal with the loneliness or the longing that's inside of us. Let's just suffocate it. Friends, when we do that, we are missing out on so much that Jesus has to offer us. But to understand that and to, to get recalibrated for how we engage with our loneliness, what, what we've got to do is look at Jesus and how he dealt with it. Because do you know your Jesus, our Jesus, was a Jesus who experienced deep longing? That's what it means for him to be fully God and fully man, is for him to know everything that it means to be human, which is for him to know what it is to long for and to be lonely. And we see it, it comes out of him in the way that he connects with the people around him. Oh, guys, I love this about our Jesus. When you think of uh, like Zacchaeus up in a tree, this man, you know, the wee little man, right? This guy who has been shunned by society, who has been cast aside, who has nobody. And when Jesus sees him, he says, hey, Zacchaeus, he knows his name. Zacchaeus, come down because I'm coming to your house because I want to spend time with you. That's our Jesus. This woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and because of that is not able to engage in relationship with the people around her. And when she comes and touches Jesus' robe, uh, she's healed. But Jesus is looking to do more than just heal her. Because he stops and he says, who touched me? And she comes in front of him and you can imagine she's shaking because she's afraid. And he calls her daughter. Because our Jesus is so good at connecting with the people around him because of his desire to connect, because of his longing. This man uh, who... There's this hall, there's a hubbub happening, and he, and he needs to be healed. And Jesus takes him aside, and he puts his hands on his face, and he heals him out of the sight of everyone else to have a moment to connect with this man who is in front of him. Man, that is our Jesus. Our Jesus who longs for and pursues connection. And the emotional word for that uh, is Compassion. And we can kind of think of compassion as like a belittling, like, they're there kind of thing. No, that's not the biblical idea of compassion. The biblical idea of compassion, it, this is from Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. We have a few extra copies downstairs with the coffee if you want one. So good. The word for compassion is this Greek word I can't pronounce, but it's called splenchizno, which is often rendered as to have compassion. But the word denotes more than passing pity. It refers to a depth of feeling in which your feelings and longings churn within you. The noun form of this verb means most literally one's guts. That Jesus, our Jesus, felt longing to connect with his people. that characterized him for before he even came to earth. That's why he came was because of his compassion for us. Now Adam, to have that desire, to have his desire for connection met, he had to give up a rib. But he was like, you know, God put him to sleep. It's like very peaceful. Our Jesus did a lot more than give up a rib. He gave up his whole body his entire life, rather than having a rib taken out of him, he has a spear run through his side. 
all for the sake of being restored, of having his connection with his people restored. That's the love and compassion that our Jesus has for us. And friends, he tells us, if you think about uh, right before the ascension, right, when he's got all the disciples together, he gives them this promise and he says, for surely I will be with you always, even until the very end of the age. I'll be with you. Which means we have something that Adam did not have. Because when Adam walked with God in the garden, God was not there in a physical form. God was a spirit. No, but we know Jesus who came for us in the flesh, who knows what it is to be human. And that is our Jesus who is always with us. And what that does is it changes then the way that we experience and live out of the longing and loneliness in our own lives. Because what it means is that you and I are never alone. Never alone. It means that you are more fully loved than you could ever imagine. And that in the places of your life where you experience, where we experience that deep longing, a longing that is so deep we can't even put it into words, the sorrows and the joys that are like that, that even in those places, your Jesus is with you and he knows you and you are not alone. So we then get to experience, we have our loneliness is in a sense restored. But it can become this indicator for us of our desire to connect with other people. And we can give the gift of that. We can ask for connection. We can move into those places of vulnerability from a place of total security. That even if I don't get exactly what I want, even if a relationship doesn't look exactly like I want it to look, that what is, what is true is that I know I am not alone. And it's from the strength of that position, that secure attachment, if you will, that I can now enter into all of my other relationships. So after the debacle of my birthday, right, two years ago, uh, I called a friend and I said, hey, Tim, uh, will you get breakfast with me every Thursday? And he was like, what's up? <laughs> every Thursday? You mean like for a month? And I was like, just indefinitely. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'd love to. there's been such a gift for me in that of being willing to admit oh yeah I, I have this friend that I have known for a long time but that I haven't engaged with in a while and we get to do that now on a regular basis oh what a gift where is God calling you to make room for that kind of relationship in your life and let's just acknowledge that kind of regularity can be very hard to achieve it is currently working in this very small season of my life great it's not always like that I can think about this with some friends we had over for dinner the other night. Guys, our house, total disaster. It's not the way I like to have people come over, but that was where we were, okay? So they're coming over, and we're talking about where we're going to put the table so the kids can, like, sit, you know, all of them. And it's not worth explaining. Anyway, okay, the point of this is that we had, like, an hour, maybe 45 minutes, I don't know, and that time was such a gift. It was so sweet. The kids did whatever they did. They got up and did who knows what. But for those 45 minutes, we got to have some friends who were sitting across from us who we love and we got to connect with. What a gift. 
and the worries about, oh man, it's been so long, or when will it happen again, or does this mean that, hey, just take the gift that's in front of you, right? That we're free to do that, to give and to offer, to receive connection in the moments that God gives it to us without all of the expectation, without all of the stories, without all of the comparing. Oh, how many of us are always comparing the relationships that we have now to the relationships that we had what, when you were in college and you had nothing but time to just hang out with people all the time? Of course it looks different than that, people. That's okay. That's okay. To take the gifts of connection that God has for us, puts in front of us each day. And guys, uh, that's the kind of community that y'all are. I can't tell you how many people I've met who are new here when they talk about their experience of this place, what they say is, it's so welcoming. It's so friendly. And what they are saying is not, everyone here smiles. That's not the point, okay? What they're saying is that there are people here who are willing in the moments that we have, whether it's the greeting time or downstairs or whenever, are willing to see them and offer them genuine connection. Like this place, this is that y'all aren't threatened by having new people here, that it's something to celebrate. You guys do that so well. Thank you. Man, and as we talk about, as we move into a new space, we're that same community. We want that to continue to characterize who we are. And if you are new, and you have said that to me, thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm glad that has been your experience. And what I want to tell you is, uh, you are invited into that now that when we go over to this new space uh, and someone there is new, they're gonna have no idea that you are not new or that you are new. They will think you've been here for a million years. Great. You're a part of this with us. Yes. This is not you and us. This is you. It's us. That doesn't make sense. It's us. That's what I'm trying to say, okay? It's us. We're in it together, okay? Uh, and and you, you're secure here that what we long for is that this would be a place where you get to experience deep connection with God and that in being drawn into that, you'd experience deep and real connection with yourselves and so, th and so then we're able to offer deep connection to the people around us even just for the moments there in front of us. That we'd be a people whose lives are porous and open to whoever God brings in and brings out to receive the gifts of connection he's placing uh, in front of us day by day. Okay, so that brings us to the communion table. Because this is where we remember the Jesus who has given himself for us. This is where we remember what it cost Jesus to have our connection with him restored, not to guilt us, but to remind us how great his love for us is. That he willingly and with joy gave his whole self, gave his life so that we could be restored not only in connection with him and with the Father, but restored in our relationships with each other. And when we come to the table, we come with repentance because we come acknowledging that there are so many ways and so many places in our lives that we have lived outside of the fence that God has provided for us because we believe our longings are gonna be satisfied somewhere else. This image of Jeremy last week when he talked about this, if if God's limits are like a fence, we press up our face against it. Do you remember when he said this? We're always like reaching out of it. It was such a powerful visual to me. And repentance is when we come and we lay those longings before Jesus and say, oh, 
we have sought to have these fulfilled in so many places that are outside of the boundaries you've given because we thought we would find life there and we didn't. Lord, I'm sorry that this table is a place that we come and we repent of all the ways that we have abused our loneliness, the ways that we have controlled other people, manipulated other people, consumed other people because we were trying to deal with our loneliness in a way God never intended. It's a place where we come and say, God, I think I've deadened my heart. I think I've suffocated my, my longing. I'm gonna lay that in front of you. And it's a place that we are reminded of how much our Jesus loves us, that he knows what our longing is like. It's the place, y'all, that we are reminded that our Jesus even now continues to experience longing while he is before the Father in heaven. Because our Jesus is looking forward to the day when he gets to live with us in a new heavens and a new earth. That our Jesus is longing for the day he gets to wipe away our tears with his hands. That's why when he talks about the Lord's Supper, he says to his people, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until the day I am with you again in the kingdom. Because he is looking forward to it just like we are. And so when we come to, to that moment, to the experience of, of feeding on Christ that we're going to have this morning, that it comes with a warning. That if you are not in Christ this morning, oh, we are so glad that you are here. And this is not for you yet. This is for a people who are willing to say, I'm in deep need of what Jesus has done for me on the cross. I've embraced it with my life. And so I would invite you, man, if that's not where you are today, would you, uh, would you pray and ask God in this time that he'd show himself to you? And then if you are a follower of Jesus, but there are places in your life where you are telling the Lord, I will continue to go outside of the boundaries that you have set to have my longings fulfilled and I don't care what you say. And if that's what you were saying to Jesus, this table is not for you right now. You've got to deal with that first. Because when he calls us to come, it's a table of love, and it's a love that demands all of us, our whole selves. And then if that is you, if you are aware of your need for Jesus this morning, even of your need to need him, then come on, let's do it.